Welcome to It's a Question of Balance with Ruth Copland. Featuring stimulating in-depth interviews with special guests from all areas of the arts. And now, here's your host for It's a Question of Balance, Ruth Copland. Welcome to the show where we balance the intellectual with the creative, exploring whether we have more in common than divides us through thought-provoking conversations. For the topic hour, I go out and about and talk to people on the street about a wide variety of different subjects that affect us all, both locally and globally. And for this, the Arts Hour, I interview local, national and international guests from all areas of the arts. And I combine a debate topic with an arts interview because I feel discussion and creativity are two of the most vital ways we engage with the world. Well, this week, as my special guest from the arts, I'm pleased to be interviewing Australian writer Marcus Suzak, the award-winning number one best-selling author of The Book Thief, I Am The Messenger, Fighting Reuben Wolf and Getting The Girl. Marcus is best known for his novel, The Book Thief, which has sold 16 million copies worldwide, is published in 42 foreign language territories and has spent over 500 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. Originally published in the US in March 2006, the novel received numerous awards, including a Michael L. Prince honour from the American Library Association and the Sidney Taylor Book Award from the Association of Jewish Libraries. The Book Thief has since gone on to become a book selection of community read programmes across the country and was released as a major motion picture in 2013. It was also featured on the list of America's 100 Most Loved Books by PBS's The Great American Read. The best-selling I Am The Messenger has also been honoured with numerous awards. Born in 1975 in Sydney, Australia, the youngest of four children of immigrant German and Austrian parents, Marcus worked briefly as a house painter, a janitor and a high school English teacher before becoming an author. He lives in Australia with his wife and children and his latest book is The Bridge of Clay, a novel 13 years in the writing. Welcome to the show, Marcus. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm wondering if you can remember the first time that art of any kind had a deep effect on you beyond just entertainment, you know, whether it was a book or a picture or music or some other kind of art. Yeah, I think it was, it's funny when you asked that and, and uh, immediately I went to my, I, I saw an image of my mum and dad's bedroom and uh, my dad, who was a house painter, also was able to paint uh, you know, also did some paintings as well, and I saw this sort of snow scene in their bedroom. And then my mum said to me, "You know, your dad actually painted that," and, uh, wow. and it, it was a real shock to me because, you know, he was this guy who just went off in his combi van every mm-hmm. morning to work, and uh, and to him, he talked about his work as if he was just playing every day uh, because he loved it. And so it was a real surprise to me that he was. I don't even want to talk about it as capable of more, but just that I think it just showed me that sometimes you can find art or creativity in places that you never imagined. So I think that was the first time that that thought struck me. Oh, that's interesting. And did you grow up 
in a creative environment, would you say, or did you find the arts for yourself? I think a bit of both. I certainly didn't live in a neighbourhood or, you know, in the, in the southern suburbs of Sydney that, that you know, really promoted the arts or creativity. I mean, when I, when I got my first book published, I had... I mean, I still had no idea that writers' festivals even existed. Hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, and certainly at school and, uh, you know, in friendships that I had, you know, books weren't necessarily discussed very often. The arts weren't really promoted. It was sort of, it was more of a sort of a sporting kind of atmosphere. And, uh, but at the same time, my household was full of books. And my mum and dad, when they came to Australia, couldn't speak English. And so to them, it was really important for their kids to be good readers and to be good with, you know, to be, you know, um, not, not I don't want to say appropriate, but just to have a good facility with English as a language. And mm. we were all taught to, you know, my sisters learned the piano. My brothers and I, my brother and I learned the piano as well. And there was a piano accordion in our house. And so, you know, we had every Dr. Seuss book uh, that was ever published, I think. And so there was, there was a, a lot going on in that house that I didn't quite realise. I mean, even down to, again, my dad, who I said, you know, went off to go painting every day. He would often, you know, if a topic came up, he would just go to the uh, encyclopedia, you know, to the Britannicas, <laughs> and uh, he, would, he would pull those off the shelf. So hmm. I think I grew up in a very working-class environment that also had aspirations that weren't typical of that environment as well. And, uh, and looking back, I really love that idea. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. So I was going to ask you what drew you to writing as, as your art form. And I mean, with your dad doing some painting, I guess you could have gone in that direction. Why, why do you think you chose writing? Is it because of all the reading you did? I think it was... It was just that feeling when you're 14 years old and, you know, you might not have read for a while or you, ha you hadn't had, you know, a love of books that you might have had previously and then suddenly you're reading books that are keeping you up during the night and you've left the light on and you don't care that your brother's grumbling over on the, on the other <laughs> side of the bedroom and just that feeling that you're there. And I love the idea with novels especially where you know it's all made up, you know it's fiction, but when you're in it, you believe it. And to me, that was the magic act that made me think, I think I want to do that. I think I want to try to write books. And, uh, mm. and, and it, was by the, it was between those years of 14 and then I was 16 that I, I tried to write my first book when I was 16. And, uh, of course... You know, all eight pages of that first book could be entered into a competition for the worst book ever written. And uh, <laughs> you have to start somewhere, though. So I think even then I realized how alive I felt when I was in the middle of a book and in the midst of a book that I just didn't want to turn away from. And, and that's what got me interested in writing. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really true, you know, for however much we've got into the visual arts now, which, of course, are, you know, are amazing. I don't think there's anything quite like the world of a novel being created in your own mind. It's if you get really drawn into it, there's nothing like that, is there? No, there isn't. And I love that description that you just made of 
the idea of a world. And, and I think increasingly that's what's kept me interested in writing novels is that you've got a character or a set of characters and you're saying, let's go into that world. And it's the world that's inside them and the world they inhabit. Uh, you know, in an exterior way as well. That that's made me. You know, you think of. I sometimes I think of all the events or the ideas in a book as almost being countries on a map, mm. and and that's the sort of decision that you're making when you're doing editorial work, where you're saying, right, do I really want to take that country off the map if I'm taking that out of the book? And mm. there, you, you're just thinking the stakes are really high in those situations where you're saying, I want this world to be whole and beautiful and complex at times and simple at others and uh, and so I, I just love the idea of creating something like that and we have hard decisions to make in our lives and so it stands to reason that when you're creating the world of a book you've got hard decisions to make there as well. Mm, yeah that's a, a good observation I hadn't thought about it like that before but it's true we just can't avoid those hard decisions wherever we go <laughs> it doesn't get e- easier as you get older either it's a, and, uh, and and neither does writing so I think for me writing has been almost like a, a best friend to me and uh, and at times obviously a, a love and hate relationship as well but I couldn't imagine my life without books in it without writing in it and and reading as well and even just the stories that make us up and uh because you know if you really think about it if you took stories away from us mm-hmm. uh there wouldn't really be that much left there'd just be you know obviously there are, there are physicalities uh to us but um but the stories we have are, are actually what make us yeah yeah and i mean you know even in our own selves, there's the potential to edit and, and change those stories. I mean, there's the actual reality, if there is such thing, going forward. But then often how we perceive things in our own lives, our own stories, is is the story that we create around the story, if you know what I mean, how we, how we see the things that have happened to us. Yeah, of course. And I think, yeah, I think we are often mythologizing our own lives and and especially I find in, in old family stories as well, where anything that starts with, remember when, you know, or in my case, we go, I could go back to 1984 when, it's funny, I'm talking about my dad again, but, um, you know, when he, I, I let my alarm clock run because I was so keyed up about Christmas and watching Christmas specials on TV that I... I didn't realize that I'd gotten up before my alarm and uh, my dad actually went into my bedroom and ended up smashing my alarm clock on the floor, you know, to which now I look back and I'll often tell a story about that to, you know, my kids are always pestering mm. me to tell them that story and, uh, and I do make it larger than life and I do ask questions like, what sort of grown man doesn't know how to turn off a bloody alarm clock? <laughs> and, and so it, I think we, we make things bigger than they were we make we turn things left or right um, of the way they happened and it's not that we're lying I think we're just sometimes adjusting things to make them brighter or or uh, you know just just in or just making them better stories because ultimately that's what we're pretty good at and you know whether whether someone considers themselves a good storyteller or not I think we all are and I think writers just uh you know, writers just go into that territory and love being there just that little bit more. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. I understand your first novel, The Underdog, was published after many initial rejections. I'm wondering what mm-hmm. kept you going through that process. How how did you keep believing in, in yourself? Yeah, it's a kind of ridiculous optimism, really, although <laughs> I, I, and I think you need that yeah. to, to be a writer. I, I, on the whole, I mean, every now and again, I'll describe myself as... Yes, I think someone asked me once if I'm cautiously optimistic about about a, how a book is going to go, and I say no. I'm usually cautiously pessimistic, <laughs> but I think I think but that's I think that's when, once the job is done, and then you get to worry about what the result is. But the idea of being able to actually do the job, I think you do need to have a kind of iron will. And it's funny, I, I was. Uh, I was talking to some people yesterday and someone, you know, a a teenager asked me a question or maybe not a teenager, maybe a little older about what it takes to be a writer or if there's any advice. And and one half of of it is saying, don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid Mm -hmm. to have that feeling that you don't feel like writing today. You're not going to feel like writing every day, so don't beat yourself up. But on the other hand you've got to have an iron will to do it. And mm. I think it's more, you've got to know that the iron will is there, even if it's not there today. Mm. You know that at some point, you will be dragging yourself through the sea of self-doubt to your desk, and you will write those first few sentences that don't work, and the pages and paragraphs and whole books that don't work. You'll write the three or four books that is the same book several times until you actually get it right. And I think it's just knowing that you will turn up and you'll turn up soon, even then when you finally say, all right, you didn't feel like it yesterday, but you're going to feel like it tomorrow. And then you, there are times you have to force yourself. But mm. once you do and you break through that, I liken it sometimes to climbing a mountain that's really difficult but at the top there's the promise of a sand pit Mm. and when you feel like you're just playing with the words that's when you're at your happiest and what I know now about myself is that I'm just happiest when I'm writing and when I'm writing well and um, and but you've got to fight for that a little bit too and uh, you know Mm. so I love the idea that writing is a is a struggle but there's joy in the struggle as well yeah I'm wondering, what do you think that struggle is? Because it's sort of, I think, with uh, all kinds of creative work, you can find yourself in that position of not being able to do it. You know, you've just described it all very well, even when it's something that you really want to do and that you feel you're good at, you know, and so it's like, what mm. what is stopping one from, you know, on those days where it, it is just that hard? I, I think personally, it's, I feel like I'm, I'm, wanting to go out of a sort of comfort zone mm. and I'm wanting to actually write better than I actually am. And so I, I hear, sometimes I hear a writer talking about being a professional writer and a professional writer only writes something they know they can finish and an amateur writer gets bucked off the horse a lot more. And I don't agree with that at all. I actually mm. think the more professional you get, the more difficult the tasks you will take on, which stands to reason you'll be bucked off the horse a lot more times, but it's your willingness to get back up and uh, to keep mm. turning up. And so I think, I, and, I, I, and I think it's one of those things that 
there's no set way to do it there's no magic ingredient there's no there's and and so i think you've got to have a lot of self-belief and my brother who is a house painter now like my dad i know that his job has a lot of challenges that my job you know doesn't have but um but he kind of knows going in that he can paint that wall and that he can paint that house whereas i feel like i'm waking up in the morning going all right how do I do that? And but the, the the payoff of that is that you're so much more often surprised. And uh, yeah. and I think that's that's the other thing that I love about writing is that you you'll write something that you actually like that day, or if, whether it's just a sentence or an image, and you'll say, "Gee, I didn't know I was going to write that when I got out of bed this morning." And uh, so, you know, I I think it's it's kind of they're the joyful things and i remember Mm. hearing uh, an australian playwright named david williamson talking about writing and he was quite funny it was in the extras of a a film that had been based on one of his plays and he said oh you hear these writers talking about oh it's so painful so every word is like a drop (laughs) of blood on the page and then he just said you know and then he swore and he, he 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 swore and he said come on you do it because you love it <laughs> and uh, and I, I sort of go right down the middle of that and say yeah. yeah it's really hard sometimes but you do it because you love it for, for all that it is and uh, and I think you know that's how we feel about our families that's how we feel about um, you know most of them the really important things in our, our lives that one of the reasons we love them is because they are complicated and uh, and you do have to work for them a little bit yeah yeah, I think I would agree with that. And I, I think that is a good distinction between a professional artist in any area of the arts, you know, that ability and willingness to really stay with something when it is really difficult. Um, because also, if you just stay in the comfort zone, especially when you already have some success, then I think the art you're creating is not going to be as as good as if you keep pushing that that boundary, definitely. Yeah, you want to. I think we. You have a decision to make at a certain point, you know, and, and and the decision is always there. It's just that it changes. You know, your first decision is if is whether you want to do it in the first place, and mm. then trying to figure out a way to do it. And then when you find you can do it this way, uh, a certain way, or this kind of project, then what do you do? And uh, I think I've always found that there, there have been certain points in my writing where I've been writing a particular book and then I wrote another book after it that was early on in my writing career. I did write three books that were about the same characters. Mm. And and by the third one, I was getting very itchy feet and I thought, I'm actually not here anymore. I actually need to go somewhere else. And, uh, you know, and the result of that was just a step away and hopefully a step up to to another book that was bigger and was a bit more plot-driven and uh you know and and that's what's always made all the difference to sort of you hope that you're going to grow as a writer and not settle for where you are and you you always want to be moving yeah yeah well you're listening to it's a question of balance with me ruth copland and my special guest award-winning best-selling australian author marcus zuzak we're going to a break now but we'll be back with more conversation after these messages 
Do you like the music from It's a Question of Balance with Ruth Copland? Have you ever wondered what the full songs sound like? Now you can find out by listening to the new EP, It's a Question of Balance Music, available from iTunes, Amazon, and It's a Question of Balance.com. It's a question of balance music. Download individual tracks or the whole EP from iTunes, Amazon, or it's a question of balance.com. Hi, I'm Casey, and I'm the second generation owner of Bookshop Santa Cruz. We pride ourselves on being Santa Cruz's community bookstore. We feature an extensive selection of new and used books, children's books and toys, gifts, cards, magazines, and games. Our knowledgeable booksellers can help you find just the right book or gift. We hope you can join us for our author events each week featuring best-selling authors and books of local interest. And if you can't get downtown, our website has over 3.2 million titles which ship directly to your home. We even have experts on site to help you publish your own book or family history. Come visit us downtown or at our website, bookshopsantacruz.com. Welcome back. You're listening to It's a Question of Balance with me, Ruth Copland, and my special guest, award-winning, best-selling Australian author, Marcus Suzak. And we heard from Bookshop Santa Cruz in the break there, and I wanted to let you know Marcus will be in Santa Cruz on Thursday, October 25th at 7pm for a book discussion and signing event. So it's a great opportunity to meet him in person. And this is a ticketed event, and you can get tickets either in-store at Bookshop Santa Cruz or at bookshopsantacruz.com where there is also more information and it's an off-site event it's going to be at the Santa Cruz County Veterans Memorial Building but you can get all that information at bookshopsantacruz.com but just to give you the date again that's Thursday October 25th at 7 p.m. So Marcus um Two of your most successful books, The Book Thief um, and The Messenger, or I Am The Messenger as it's known in the US, are considered young adult fiction, at least in the US. Um, By some market estimates, nearly 70% of all YA titles are purchased by adults um, between the ages of 18 and 64. I'm wondering what it is about YA books that also attracts an adult readership, do you think? Yeah, that's one where I probably just have to say I actually don't know <laughs> uh, because <laughs> yeah. I, I look at it often as well. I it's a bit like people ask, oh, well, what about what what say do you have in the covers of the books? And I, I say, well, I just write the books, and the, the publisher sells them. And uh, and I didn't know that statistic about seventy percent uh, of of young young adult books are bought by adults. But um, I mean, from my perspective, I've just always thought. I don't even think about categories like that. No. I just think, 
I'm just gonna. I just want to try to write a book that someone might love. And uh, and to me, that I, I have a bookshelf at home, and on the top of that bookshelf are some of my favourite books. And I think, okay, that's the kind of book I want to write. And whether someone, you know, if if there's a book that, say, there was a science fiction comedy drama of a novel, <laughs> and someone's going to say, gee, I really love that science. You know, they're not going to say that. They're just going to say, I love that book. And those books are in a category of their own i mean in terms of the book thief and uh, and i'm the messenger was more of like to me that book feels a lot more like a a young adult book in in more of a sense that it's that the characters in that book are out of high school they're they're actually they are actually you know to me real young adults mm. and uh and whereas the book thief was published you know in the countries that it's been published in really only a small handful of those countries published it as a young adult novel and and in most of those they did it as a dual edition anyway where there was a young adult edition and an adult edition or they did a hardback in young adult and then when it went to paperback they did it for adults and so for me it's not so much a concern i think the majority of the book thieves readers around the world are adults and uh but you can't underestimate it, and that's the other thing where I just say, you know, pe- people would ask when that book came out, oh, can young people handle a book set in Nazi Germany, narrated by death, that's 560 pages long? You know, I just thought, God, no one's going to want to read that, <laughs> <laughs> let, let alone teenagers or adults. So, you know, I was a bit like, I'll take anybody. And, but I just thought, no, you can't underestimate young yeah. people. You know, we do so at our peril because they're capable of so much more than we think they are. And we might need books that are about them, for them, written in their voice. But we also need books that say, and I think that's what we ask young people to do and our kids to do um, in their whole period of growing up is we ask them to step up sometimes. And, uh, And we should do that in their reading as well and say, this is also for you, but... You've got to step up here to read it. And, uh, you know, so I'm happy for my books to be, you know, placed anywhere. But, um, but you know, at the end of the day, I can only control the actual novel itself. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you're right. You know, it's obviously there is a certain amount of pigeonholing in order to market things. You know, it seems like marketing mm. always wants to put it in a certain place. But, you know, who whom a work of art speaks to, I think is unknown really un- until it is out there and it, it can speak to all kinds of people as you say. Your latest book is Bridge of Clay. Before we talk about it could, could you give listeners an idea of the story without giving too much away obviously because they won't have read it yet. Yeah it's always the toughest question what's your book about? Yeah <laughs> and, especially when uh, it's very complex. <laughs> yeah well that's right but I mean if I was to really try to distill it into a couple of ideas it's about a family and a moment that decimated that family and it's about a boy from that from that group of people who really risks everything he he loves and everything he has left to save it and he does that by leaving his four brothers to go and build a bridge on a remote property with their dad who who had one who had fled them a few years earlier and i think Clay, that's the the fourth Dunbar boy in the family. He wants to make one beautiful and perfect thing. He wants to achieve greatness in a way by building this bridge. But I think what he learns is that 
as humans, you can try to make something great, but you're probably going to fall short. But the beauty in that is that there's a kind of greatness in doing it anyway and, uh, and the attempt of it. And, uh, and so that, to me, is what the book is about, you know, as well as just what it's like to live in a small house with you know a, a household of five brothers mm. five you know ridiculously <laughs> named animals and just what the maelstrom of our lives often are yes yeah i mentioned earlier um in the introduction it's taken you um 13 years to to work on um bridge of clay and you said in 2016 i've got to get it done this year or else i'll probably finally have to set it aside uh, yeah what is it about this story that that's carried you through the years to not set it aside and, and complete it you know, it's it's interesting i did i mean i'd been saying that probably since 2010 <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and i had some really hard times with this book and i think there was immediate pressure for me with this book and i'm not even talking about since it was the book after the mm. book thief which was such an unexpected success for me mm. it was because i got this idea when i was 19 or 20 years old i i, I was in that period where i was getting rejected by publishers uh, for things that i was writing and uh and yeah, you know, and and rightfully so. You know, they just I just wasn't they, the work just wasn't ready, and uh, and so I'm relieved that those that those ideas didn't get published. Mm. But um, I just had this idea about a boy, and you you get a voice whisper in your head as a writer if you're lucky about once every ten or fifteen years. Yeah. So when you hear it, you listen to it, and I just saw this boy who wanted to build a bridge, and he wanted to make it perfect. He wanted to make just one beautiful thing and and the boy's name in my mind was Clayton and uh, and often with a book the, the one of the, the first things I think of or the first three things I think of are the beginning the end and the title and the title I had for the story was Clayton's Bridge and you always need just a tiny bit of luck when you're writing a book mm. and in this case I called him Clayton and I could have called him anything but Clayton then allowed me a few months later, as I was thinking of the idea, to go, maybe not Clayton. What about shortening it to Clay, even though his full name is Clayton? And what about calling the book Bridge of Clay? Mm. And as soon as I thought of that title, instantly a whole new range of emotions came to me and a whole new depth and level of meaning came to me as well because I, I thought about the idea that clay can be molded into anything as a material but it needs fire to set it mm. and so I thought what if this character is molding his life into the bridge no matter what he makes it of so it is made of him and when the river floods and he wants to test himself by walking and test the bridge by walking across the water and in a way, just transcending humanness, just for a moment, what if then the sun's coming up in the water and that's the fire? And so immediately I thought, God, I think this is maybe my best idea. Mm. And as soon as you're thinking of something as your best idea, <laughs> the stakes go up. Mm. And so I did write it at that time or when I was about 21, and it didn't work. I just, at least I had the editorial wherewithal to say, oh, that's not it. And uh, and I kept I kept pushing it back, and so I wrote several other books, thinking, okay, and then Bridge of Clay, that'll be the big one, and then the 
the book thief, which I thought would die a very quick death and sink without a trace, did did what it did. But mm. I, I I knew that I still really wanted to write Bridge of Clay. But I, I just I lost the start that I had. I didn't. It wasn't quite right. And so beginning became a real problem. And believing in myself became a real problem and suddenly I was writing the first page over and over and over again it seemed to take me more than a year to write the first page mm. and uh, and then that process sort of kept happening even I'd be halfway through the book five years later and I'd still be going back to the beginning to perfect it and I think I lost sight of the fact that of two things one is for every book you write and this is how I feel about Bridge of Clay. There'll be 20% improvement in that book till the day I die. Um, but you've got to, there's a point where you've got to say, right, but now I just have to get it done because, you know, it's, uh, I might start hurting it before, you know, if I keep working, it, working on it anymore. And the other thing was just that it only has to be exactly right once, and that's when it's on its way to the printer. Right. And uh, yeah. and so for a lot of the time, I think you've got to allow things to be a bit messier and you have to enjoy just getting your hands dirty and not being quite so precious. So um, and and like I said earlier, you also have to not let it, you know, for a long time, I was so beaten up by that book. And mm. uh, and it, it took actually my wife in about I think it was 2016 around June it was actually that she she told me that I, I needed to either get it back on track within a week and <laughs> and be happy with it right um, you know she's just like you've just got to be start getting happy again yeah. with this book working on it or else you need to set it aside and so for a month and a half uh, you know she just saved me because mm. I I realized what it would be like to live without finishing the book and you need to have you know it's, what, it's the mm. old cliche that sometimes you need to have something taken off you to to understand what it truly means to you and uh, and that's when I I start you know I I got back to it it got my hands dirty and by January the next year I was pretty much finished mm, yeah the language of the book is quite unusual employing sort of different tenses almost at the same time I'm wondering why you made that choice I think I'm always just, I mean, well, I remember having a few, I mean, I, I have really good relationships with the, the editors that I work with. And, uh, you know, we often joked that there should be a T-shirt made that um, that says it's just deliberately different, okay? <laughs> and uh, or, or even just deliberately different. and or, or the other one where, so Matthew Dunbar, the eldest of the Dunbar brothers, narrates the story and right and, uh, and he's and omniscient often, somehow about everything <laughs> yeah and uh, and I would just say well he he's sort of he's telling the story that clay at the towards the end of the book clay tells him everything right. that happened and uh, until he tells him all the stories and uh, and so Matthew you Matthew understands everything as, as best as he can even though he's still trying to figure his brother out yeah. and uh, and but um, but yeah. So Matt, yeah, we we also joked that uh, there should be another T-shirt made that just says that's just how Matthew talks. <laughs> and uh, and so and I think it's it's the way I talk too. Where it, there was often you know just questions about where he'd say 
he'd use it at the start of a sentence. And then, so, you know, someone would ask me, what's the it? What is he talking about? And I'd say, yeah, it's in the next line. And that's just how he talks. And and it's how I often talk. And uh, and so I, I've always, the, the thing I've loved most about writing uh, or a couple of things is that you don't, always have to know everything straight away you don't have to be told things up front things don't have to be clear all the time they will become clear and and so and i the other thing i love is just the fact that you can put two words together or two different or two words in a sentence that shouldn't actually work together Mm. but if you can find a way that they do um, you know, suddenly that's that moment when you're in the sandpit and you're loving what words can do yeah. with each other that haven't necessarily been done before. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm st- I'm still reading Bridge of Clay. I haven't finished it yet. And, um, you know, I, I don't know exactly how long it was, but, you know, to start with, I was very conscious of the use of language and the way the story was being told. It, it, was, it was very different. It was very different. And I was sort of... I, I don't know, a bit befuddled by it, but mm-hmm. but now it's interesting because when I was, you know, working out what questions to ask you, I thought, well, I'm going to ask about that. But then when I was <laughs> looking at what I was reading now, I, I couldn't even almost see these mm. things anymore. So I've just become absorbed into it and I guess into him and the way he's telling the story. And so now uh, it, it it just is, you know, and that's yeah. an interesting thing, I think, which, you know, you've pulled off which you know it could not be pulled off but you've done it you know in in terms of being experimental in that kind of way of telling a story um that if you get it right it really does draw somebody in so that they become you know part of that um differentness yeah i think i mean what i've i've actually said to to some people before reading the book is just to say uh, every book comes with its own set of challenges mm. and and this book you know for me obviously there were challenges in the writing but i, I think you know i, I don't want to do things exactly the way they necessarily should be done mm. and yeah. and uh, and that you you're trying to push yourself but also i think then what i what i've been saying to people is yeah the challenges are a bit different in this book but I honestly also believe that the rewards are so much greater. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and I think even, you know, and people have reminded me, good friends of mine said, have said, don't worry, you know, there are a lot of people who thought the book thief was just totally weird uh, and totally strange at the beginning and it took them a while to penetrate that book. And, and so I think what happens is you spend a, a lot of time really trying to look after the reader of the book and, and to not, and I don't mean in that sort of hand-holding kind of mm. way, but just to sort of say, you know, come a little further, come a little further. And I think there comes a point where you cross a line and the line is basically saying, right, I've wanted to do what's right for the reader for a long time now, but now I've got to actually do what's right for the characters in the book yes, and do yeah. right by them. And that's how the book truly comes to life. And that's how you honour the writing itself. And, and you just have to hope that you've already done enough work for the, re- on, you know, for the reader that they will come with you. And, you know, the darker way of putting that is to say, right, okay, readers, <laughs> I've already done enough. If, if you want to uh, be part of this book now, you've got to come with me. 
Yeah. And, uh, and I think so. It's just that beautiful irony that sometimes the best way to serve the reader is to, to let go and yeah. not try to please them so much anymore. And I think then you earn a tougher, more valuable kind of love. And, uh, yeah. But you've got to risk more to get it. Yeah, yeah. And I think also on the part of the, the reader, you're risking more for, for your reward as well. You know, I think it's like with music, you know, it used to be people were willing to listen to a track four or five times before they kind of got it and it grew on them. And then, you know, and now everything is so immediate. We want everything to just affect us within 30 seconds. But I think the things that affect us that quickly are that easy. The reward is much less because, you know, there is a complexity and depth to great art that does require some effort, you know, and sticking with something, I think. And and that's, um, you know, an amazing thing, which you've certainly achieved in this book well um you're listening to it's a question of balance with me ruth copland and my special guest award-winning best-selling australian author marcus suzak we're going to go to a break now but we'll be back with more conversation after these messages and just want to remind you again that marcus is going to be in santa cruz on october 25th 7 p.m courtesy of bookshop santa cruz you can find out more information at their website bookshopsantacruz.com Ciao, I'm Luca from Tramonti at 528 Seabright Avenue, steps from the ocean. We are the authentic Italian pizza and pasta restaurant, serving also organic salad and house-made dessert in a friendly family-style atmosphere, indoor or on our lovely patio. Visit Luca at Tramonti, 528 Seabright Avenue. That's Tramonti, 528 Seabright Avenue. imagine living without stress, anxiety, or fear? And can you imagine a life filled with harmony and inner peace? Is that even possible? The Ananda Yoga and Meditation Center in Scotts Valley offers simple tools to help you become more effective at work and more centered in the face of life's challenges. At Ananda, we offer yoga classes for everybody, inspiring workshops, devotional chanting, and Sunday services based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Our teachers and therapists are highly trained professionals who work together to inspire a healthier you. And your first Ananda yoga class is always free. Visit us at anandascottsvalley.org or call 338-YOGA. That's anandascottsvalley.org or 338-YOGA. Welcome back. You're listening to It's a Question of Balance with me, Ruth Copland, and my special guest, award-winning, best-selling Australian author, Marcus Zuzak. And um, just to let you know again that Marcus will be in Santa Cruz on Thursday, October 25th at 7 p.m. He'll be talking about his latest book, Bridge of Clay. There'll be a discussion and signing. And this is a ticketed event, and you can get tickets either in-store at Bookshop Santa Cruz or at Bookshop Santa Cruz. And it's an off-site event. It's going to be at the Veterans Memorial Building. But you can find out all the information at bookshopsantacruz.com. I'll be going, so I hope to see you there. Um, 
Marcus, I, I'm very interested uh, in the psychologist Alice Miller, who um, has studied artists and, and written a lot about how um, art can help people process difficult events, whether these are events they've experienced themselves or, or events they've witnessed. And I'm wondering whether you feel art can have a healing effect both on those making art and those experiencing it. Uh Absolutely. And uh, it's funny, I was in New York last night and talked to and you know, did a, an event there. And, uh, and the amount of people, and especially, I mean, even so three or four people last night came up to me and they all talked about the book thief. And, and I mean, I'm almost embarrassed to, to even talk about it, but it's, um, but they, you know, just these people, they come up so sincerely and they say, you know that book helped me through a really hard time, mm. and uh, and and God, you know that's. I mean, what more could you ask for? Yeah. For 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 a career in a way, and uh, or for a, for a moment in your life that someone comes and and says that to you, and and I love that idea, and uh, you know, and I know, you know, even if you take that to the smallest scale possible, is that. I mean, I, one of the things I love to do is watch my favourite movies over and over and over mm. again because they give me great comfort. Yes. And, uh, yeah. and they also unlock my own creativity because I kind of half watch and and half work on what I'm doing and plan things out. It's almost a, a, a subconscious working out of my own. And so, you know, I definitely, I mean, that's, again, it's, it comes back to that uh, that idea of, you know, that stories make up who we are. I mean, you can mm. a, a, a life without art, a life without artwork, and uh, and everything surrounding that just seems like a pretty bleak existence. Mm. So, um, so yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, I um had a conversation with the filmmaker Mark Pellington, and he said, "Great art makes one feel less alone," and I, I think that's something certainly I. Um, subscribe to I, I think for many reasons you know um, that the sort of empathy one is able to feel through through other characters but also um, seeing oneself often you know within works of art and I mean it, it's very multifaceted I think what one can get yeah uh, absolutely and uh, and and I, I think I love that it can kind of hit you from anywhere and uh, you know and even um yeah, it's funny as you were talking about that. Yeah, you know, I just even thought of the the old Tennyson poem. You know that says, you know, that which we are, we are one equal mm. temper of heroic hearts. And it sounds so, uh, you know, it sounds almost corny saying it just out of context. But yeah, that's that le- um, that sense that we aren't alone. I mean, that's such. I mean, I wish I could have said what he said. <laughs> and uh, uh, you know the uh, the. The, the film director you're talking about and mm. uh, but um but it's they're just sparks that remind us we're alive yes yeah um the significance of the bridge is multi-layered in in bridge of clay and uh, i just felt that you know i know it took you a long time to reach sorry re- write this book but it seems like the idea of the bridge is is very timely with with so much division between ordinary people over issues right now I, I wondered if that had struck you at all about you know this this idea of it it seems what we so desperately need in many situations is 
a bridge and, and how we go about that on, on many different levels. Yeah, and uh, I, I mean, for me, it was the idea in the book of a family that needed to, to go somewhere else. And it's, it's interesting, you know, when I see it written on the back of the book, it almost sounds simplistic. Uh, and, uh, and in the novel itself, they don't start building the bridge until, you know, a good 150 pages in. It's a little bit like... Uh, in the book thief where you know every now and again you'll get someone write a, a comment somewhere that says something along the lines of well it's called the book thief but she really only steals four books <laughs> and <laughs> and so I, I think you know I, and it's really fascinating you know that you travel a little bit and even I mean I, I'm in Philadelphia at the moment and you come in and you see all these humble beautiful spectacular you know from the humble to the spectacular bridges in the world and you go god that's such a beautiful thing and mm. uh, and and yeah you do i think at the moment you know we do feel a sense of unrest and uh, and I, I felt it particularly coming to america in the mm. last couple of years you know sporadically or not sporadically almost every six months so you know i, I don't realize how much i come up here until i look back and go oh yeah mm. i was there and you know twice last year and uh, you know, and it certainly felt like uh, some things. You know, that I've I've felt that kind of unrest. You know, mm. the water getting a little higher. Yeah. And uh, and so it does feel like either you know a dam's going to burst or a bridge needs to be built, and you don't know what order these things are going to come in. No, no. Hopefully, the bridge first. <laughs> yeah, I would like, to, I would like to think so too. And uh, yeah, and it's uh, oh, yeah. Every yeah. now and again, you know, and 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 recently too, I've just sort of thought, you know, sometimes, you know, some sometimes things get as bad as you think they can get, and then they get a little bit worse. And and you go, God, I didn't think that was going to happen, but it might be the thing that triggers things improving. And uh, you know, yeah. and so I'll just hold to that for the moment, and uh, and 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 see see what happens next. Yeah, yeah. I was also um, thinking that you know, with the um, I haven't read all your books, but certainly with the the book thief and, and bridge of clay, that you know, there's uh, immigrants in in the story, and um, this idea. I think it's Matthew who says something about remaking oneself to find oneself and um you know immigrants of course in particular having to do that you know to give up everything and leave everything mm. um and i think that the, the the sort of trauma of that is often just not you know really considered by people thinking yeah. about immigrants all they think about is them coming to the new country and wanting yeah. whatever they want you know it's like yeah. they, it's like <laughs> what they're the just, hell are you doing here yeah well it's just all focused on the need and you know what yeah. they what they're getting and not yeah. not very focused on on what they they had to give up but this idea of remaking oneself to find oneself it's kind of the story of us all really isn't it and i i think that's you know bridge of clay seems very it's very centered around that idea isn't it yeah and for me i mean and i'm conscious of it all the time because i look at my mum and dad and the sacrifices they made and how hard they worked and that they were they they were the ones who you know, immigrated to Australia and had to work really hard to give, you know, my siblings and I the, the opportunities that that we've had. And uh, and I'm always conscious of that 
in in terms of you know I feel like my mum and dad taught me how to work mm. and how to wait for things and uh, because that's what they had to do their whole lives in Australia was to be quite disciplined about things too and so I always remember that and 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 that's the other thing too is that I I feel like who we are starts well before we're even born mm. and uh, and so that was something that I mean and that's the reason in Bridge of Clay why I go back and tell Penelope Dunbar's story and and uh, or as she's not, as she's originally as her original name is Penelope Les Shushko because she's from Eastern Europe and it's why I tell Michael Dunbar's story who grows up in in an Australian country town mm. because we're we're also formed and made by the, those relationships before we were born and uh, and and I think we look at some of the mistakes that were made but also so many of the of the great things that were that were made before we came into existence and and you know the i think there's that there's that line at the end of the first chapter of part two in bridge of clay when penelope leaves eastern europe for you know for this long journey to australia Mm. and matthew says and that's how us dunbar boys began and uh, so he's quite mindful of her courage in particular yeah, yeah. Well, we're almost at the end of the show now. There's about a minute left. Um, I just wanted to ask you finally, is there an overarching theme to your work or do you think, or, or is each book different for you? I, I felt like every book is a new, is a new step and, uh, and hopefully a better step than the last one. And I don't know, I, I think for the most part, I, I think I've never been asked that question before. It's a a great one and uh but i think for me it's a, there's a kind of aspiration in all all of my books and i think all of my characters want to be better people and and i i really i, I write about characters i, I write about because i love them and mm. i but i think they're all in the process of becoming and uh and i think that's probably the overarching theme is that all of my characters are are becoming characters and mm. uh and they've always still got somewhere else they want to go that's better than where they are now Mm, mm, that's a great theme to have well thank you so much for for coming on the show it's been lovely talking to you oh thanks ruth it's just been my pleasure and privilege thanks very much and we look forward to seeing you when you're in santa cruz can't wait So I just wanted to let you know uh, once more that uh, Marcus Suzak is going to be in Santa Cruz on Thursday, October 25th at 7pm for a book discussion and signing event. I hope you might be able to make it. More info at bookshopsantacruz.com. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to being with you again next time.